And here's the thing about work. Go to work, work, go home, forget it. Hello, Happy New Year, and welcome to TrackCast, the official podcast of the Real Estate Council from deep in the heart of Dallas, Texas. I'm Bill San Antonio. Thank you for joining us. I'm really excited to share our first conversation of 2022 with you all as I sit down with Bill Cauley. For those of you new to Trek or this podcast, Bill is the chairman and CEO of Cauley Partners. He was chairman of the Real Estate Council back in 2020, and he's also carved out quite the niche as a podcaster, as host of our Legends of Commercial Real Estate series and creator of our CRE Executive Roundtable. On today's show, we give Bill the legend's treatment as we chart his life and career and delve into the habits and business values that have made him so successful as a real estate leader here in Dallas. It's a great talk that I'm really glad we were able to fit in just before the holiday season, and that's coming up in just a bit. First, I'd like to remind you to subscribe to the show on your preferred podcast app to get all new episodes right to your mobile device. Both seasons of our Legends of Commercial Real Estate series are available for download. Be sure to follow us on social media as well for the latest news and updates from around the organization. You'll find links to everything in the show notes. We'd like to thank the Dallas Business Journal for sponsoring our Legends of Commercial Real Estate series. Visit the Dallas Business Journal online at bizjournals.com backslash Dallas for the latest breaking business news and exclusive reporting on the hottest topics fueling North Texas's growth. Subscribe to their email products, including local business news updates in the mornings and afternoons, and dozens of popular topics from their vast national network of business journals publications. And for more interviews with DFW business leaders and personalities, subscribe to their weekly Texas Business Minds podcast, available wherever you download podcasts. Now, here's Bill Cawley of Cawley Partners, right here on TrackCast. Bill, thanks so much for uh, taking the time to do this. Really appreciate it. Um, really excited to get you on the other side of the microphone and, and get you in the uh, the hot seat, so to speak. Uh, how you doing today? I'm awesome, Bill. I tell you what, it's kind of been fun doing this together. And uh, I don't know how much I'm going to enjoy being on this side, but I'm happy to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think you've done an amazing job with these interviews. Um, I've gotten to sit in on pretty much every one of these so far. Um, we've gotten a lot of positive feedback from our members about them. Um, looking back, what has been your sort of biggest takeaway, the most impressive thing that you've learned from not just doing these legends interviews, but also starting the commercial real estate roundtable with all the executives um, and bringing people together at a time when we really weren't able to meet together? Well, from the the real estate council and and roundtable uh, or CEO calls perspective, um, we were all looking for information, right? It was kind of a, I've never been through a time like that where I kind of felt like we were, everything was on hold, but we were in businesses that couldn't be on hold for long. So we all wanted information. And I was impressed with how the people in Dallas, the real estate related professionals, just pitched in. And I think everybody felt the same way we did. I, one, I wanted to add some value in a different way. I was trying to figure out how the council could add value and how as me being the chairman, I could add value. But but going out and getting key people. And then the second thing was incredible content. But the content came 
from the people that were participating on the call. We leveraged everybody's relationships. And I really was proud of the fact that um, key players kept calling in and the content remained good. And we, Linda and I kind of talked about saying, we're going to keep doing this as long as the content is good. Sure. And uh, I think it's continued under Mike's watch. It's, he's done a great job. I, I, I've missed one of those calls since I've not led them. And I think they have great content. Now, from a podcast perspective, it was cool for me to be able to get one-on-one with people I really respect and look up to. So like Craig Hall, Ray Washburn, Jeff Swope, uh, you know, just the long list of people we've talked to. But the, the takeaway I have is the giving nature, again, of people in our industry and the relationships we all have. And, you know, we all kind of go through life a little bit scared when you're unsure about what's coming in your career. Sure. It was cool to go back to early times of these people that have done great things in our industry and hear that they went through a lot of the same things that, that we have. And I think that's what our members want to hear. They want to say, how did Craig Hall, how did Ray Washburn, how did all these people get where they got? And it's kind of cool to see that a lot of us have been through a lot of the same things. Yeah, absolutely. I think that was a big a big driving factor in, in us wanting to start something like this is, is figuring out how you get from that young guns new member just out of college starting in your first job and working your way into becoming Bill Cauley of Cauley Partners, mm-hmm. right? Um, I know the experience from 2020 to 2021 and doing these kinds of conversations has changed. I mean, certainly we were on Zoom to start. We were able to do, uh, for the most part, all of these one-on-ones in person this year. How did that experience change? I mean, I know we're at a point now where people are really sick of Zoom and having to get on their webcam. What changed for you? How did the experience, um, you know, evolve over the course of the last two years? Well, it felt more intimate, like just being face-to-face with somebody. Um, You know, a lot of these people that we interviewed, I knew some I knew really well, but a lot of them I didn't know that well. And so I think to be able to connect uh, and maybe react based on what you see from their facial expressions, their body language, et cetera. So being in person was, I think, much more intimate and more productive. I kind of think, and I don't know if it was the Zoom, but I'll, I'll ask you what you think, but I think they kept getting better and better. Um, I spent a lot of time early on, we came up with a list of questions, but then I started trying to drill in individually to each person. So if, you know, and, and, and research their background so I could ask more intimate questions and get better feedback. Was there anything as you were going about that research, anything in particular um, that you were curious about in learning about each person? Yes. I mean, um, you know, with, you know, Every one of them has such a unique story and have gone down very similar roads. But again, I hate to keep bringing up Craig Hall, but Craig Hall got in the wine business and how he did that. And he's very focused on entrepreneurship in the country and, and making sure that that the path that we have all had is, is available to the young people coming up. You know, can someone that's in their 20s today get wealthy. And I think they can. I think it's getting more and more difficult, but I think they can. 
So it's just um, understanding that person and what drives them so that I could ask questions that had more meaty content. Yeah, definitely. You know, we started this podcast, we've kind of talked about it already during the, I'd say, early time of, of COVID really picking up steam in the U.S. last year. We dealt with the early weeks and months and really had to shift our priorities for our organization, for our industry, I'm sure for your company as well. We also had to reevaluate our efforts at being more welcoming and inclusive. Certainly the protests last year helped us you know, start down that path and begin having those conversations. How, as, as, you know, as someone who was at the very top of that within a lot of different areas, can you just recall for us what that early experience was like? I know you've talked about it a little bit on previous episodes. We were all kind of underestimating a little bit just how much or, or just how severe everything would get. So what, what was your perspective, your POV like from, from the early days and sort of moving into now, like, I don't know, I guess, are we going to be in this sort of never ending COVID time? Um, I think we've done for the most part, all we've can at this point, but what, what did that experience look like for you? So for COVID, um, early on, I didn't take it seriously. I think we had a Trek function at my house kind of when it was all starting, which was a complete no, no, we shouldn't have done it, but I didn't take it very seriously. And then I took it very seriously. You know, when people started dying and, and we had all this unknown when we were all kind of in our homes. Um, but after about 90 days of that, I just said, you know, I'm going to pay attention to what they're telling me. I'm going to protect myself, but I'm going to move forward with my business and my life. And um, I just, um, you know, I'd done every to-do item on my list at home, and I just wanted to move forward. So I called everybody that worked for me, and I just said, hey, we did a Zoom call. And I said, guys, I, I am going to move forward. You guys deal with what's the debris of what's coming because of the unknown of COVID, but I'm going to keep moving. And um, I started driving the city and I started looking for opportunities because the city was shut down, it was wide open. So I, I one, I, I would say 90 days in, I, I wanted to move forward. Two, I took action. I just felt better taking action. COVID, it just keeps coming. Um, I kind of think it's going to be, I'm one that thinks at some point it's going to be behind us and we go back to normal. It's like I lived through 9-11. 9-11, they thought we'd never go above a two-story office building, that hotels were doomed just because of what happened there. And, and eventually we got to where we adjusted. It's not the same, but we adjusted and adapted to the new world. There's a lot more security in airports, et cetera, that, that are different. But, but I think we kind of go back to normal and we figure out a way to live with it. I kind of think the, is it I'm a, Omicron or this latest virus, sure. this, this latest um, portion of it seems to be less strong or more mild. And maybe we can get to herd immunity with it. I'm hoping kind of think we're all going to get it eventually and just get through it. But um, I'm hoping that we get this thing behind us this year. I, I guess from, from someone that was on the, the inside of Trek uh, on a day to day, um, being that I'm a staff member, we started COVID uh, last year and then ended this, you know, 2021 in radically different places. We have a lot going on, more so than we've really ever had as an organization. Um, 
what was it like to experience, you know, that first year of the DCED and rolling along with the Dallas Catalyst Project and um, having another ALC class go through, I believe it was an 18 month program. And now we've been through already another one, um, keeping sort of the Trek train on the tracks and, and moving us forward at a time when there was a lot of, I guess, standing still to an extent, a lot of, you know, what do we go? How much risk do we look to take? Um, what was that part of it like? So, you know, one of the regrets I have is going in as the chairman, I wanted to know the staff because Linda leads the organization very well, but it's the staff that allows her to lead. So they, you know, they're there to support her. And so uh, early on, I met with all, every member of the staff. I don't know if you and I ever got it done, but I think other than you and you and I've spent a lot of time since then. So we've yep. got to know each other, but Absolutely. I wanted to meet with everybody on the staff. So I knew them because I kind of wanted to know, I didn't kind of want, I wanted to know what drove them. And then I, I was going to work that year to get to know them well. Cause I thought the better they know me and the better I know them, I know what drives them and the better the unit will be and the more we'll produce. Uh, then we all got sent home. And um, so that was one big regret, but, but I will say, I think overall fight night got canceled, you know, giving Gala got canceled. I, I, I think overall the important work got done. It got done differently, but I feel like for the circumstances we're in, you know, it all worked out pretty well. And, and we found other ways to add value. So we've spent a lot of time in these interviews talking about origin stories. What brought people to this city and this industry? Um, maybe they started their own company. How did they come to that? Or how did they make you know one business move versus another? We've heard your origin story in bits and pieces, and I'm sure you've talked about it over the years as well. But we haven't really talked about it in this space in full, and I, I, I wanted to give you the opportunity to tell your story, because I know you're like me, you're not a Dallas, uh, native Dallasite. We're both transplants. And I love hearing these kinds of stories. So how did you get to Dallas? Um, how did you end up in commercial real estate? And then how did, how did Cauley Partners come about? How did, how did we get to this conference room in this conversation? Well, um, I'm from the Midwest. I was born and raised on a farm, actually. Um, we weren't farmers. We were living in a home on a farm um, in a town of 10,000 people, LaSalle, Illinois. And um, my dad was my hero. I mean, I looked up to my dad. I had an older brother and two sisters, but my, I just always clicked with my dad. We kind of really got along well. And my dad was in the real estate business. And he was in the real estate business in a really small town. So his, his market was limited, but I really from a young age, fifth, sixth grade, all I ever wanted to do was get into real estate. Now, I didn't know what it meant, but that's what I wanted. So went to college. I got married very young. Where'd you go to school? I went to Quincy University in Quincy, Illinois. I was not a great student. I was dyslexic. I didn't know what it was. So my grade point average, uh, I needed some leverage for my football coach to get into a college. I applied to 50 schools and was rejected by 50 of them. And then Quincy University got, got me in through my football coach. Um, 
I got married really young and I was married and I worked a couple of three jobs and all I wanted to do was get out of college. So college wasn't fun for me. It was just about getting the education. Sure. And then when I got out, uh, my dad had a real estate business and I kind of wanted to go to work for him, but he, um, he had an agreement with his partner that no, off, no, no siblings could come into the business. So I tried selling life insurance and I tried, uh, remodeling houses. And I, I just always wanted to be in the real estate business. So I went to my dad and I said, listen, either you're going to hire me or I'm going to go to work for somebody else. And he hired me and it just clicked. I was selling houses and store leasing storefronts in a small town, but I, early on I was frustrated because the market was small. So, uh, I didn't feel like I could make a great living. I had to go. I wanted to play bigger. I didn't know if I could, but I wanted to, I came to Dallas on a vacation. And it was in the early 80s, and I just saw they were building office buildings everywhere. It was right before the RTC mess. And I just thought, my gosh, I mean, that's if there's ever been a city where a real estate guy belongs, it's Dallas. So it was kind of luck. So I went back to my dad, and um, I said, Dad, I think I want to go try Texas. And he wanted me to take over his business. But as a good father would do, he said, listen, Go. He can always come back. He said, I'd hoped you would take over our business, but if that's what you feel, go. And so I came and I, um, I came here and um, I had a hard time finding a job because I didn't know the city. So I started working, selling homes out of a trailer out by the airport. I was actually selling townhouses to uh, flight attendants. I would work weekends and I, I, I just wanted to get into commercial real estate. So I did that for a year and a half while I got my license. Got a little bit of money in my pocket and because I was I had no money when I got here. And um, so I applied for jobs with Cushman, Swearingen and CB and they wouldn't hire me. So um, I started my own business, <laughs> and which is probably a mistake because I never had anybody to compare what I was doing. You know, I was kind of in a vacuum on my own and I just kept looking in the market for opportunities or something different I could do. And it's when the RTC days hit, when everything was going back to the banks and real estate values were plummeting. Um, so I started representing uh, bankrupt tenants. So tenants would go in and sign a 10 year lease for twice as much space as they need, but they'd get five years of free rent. So when it was time to pay rent, they couldn't pay it because they were in double the space they needed. It was just a house of cards. But they could pay rent on 10,000 feet if they're in 20, right? On what they actually needed. So I started focusing there and actually it worked. I mean, I started making quite a bit of, of, of progress doing that. And then I brokered a deal to the Bass family in Fort Worth, a piece of land, and they asked me to come work there. So I shut my business down, went to work there. I worked under Rainwater and Bonderman for the Robert Bass family for two years. And I learned a lot. I learned um, a lot of investing um, experience there. I didn't enjoy it because the culture was fractured. They were really good people, but it was very fractured culture. So um, I did that for a couple of years and then just decided to go back and then started my own business again. And then it took off from there. I got into brokerage because I thought I didn't have enough money to be a developer. But And as I got into brokerage, I built relationships and um, I was just always really totally committed to not failing. I mean, there were times when 
you know, um, you know, there were some lean times. I was at a, at a point once in my, where my car was repossessed and my, uh, my house was posted for foreclosure and uh, I'd have to go out to the street in the morning to turn the water on, but I just kept going and uh, it worked out. In, in looking back, and I guess my next question is for uh, the more entrepreneurial minded uh, young folks that sort of want to take their careers in that direction. Um, in, in looking back at the experiences you've had, the successes that you've had, um, are there, what kinds of factors do you folks need to consider before jumping in? Um, is there ever a right time? Is it sort of like, you know, having a baby, there's no right time per se <laughs> yeah. to jump in. Um, and I'd imagine, you know, if you're going into business for yourself, you got to commit fully to it, right? Mm -hmm. But what other criteria would you say for, for someone thinking about jumping in and making that name for themselves? What should be considered? What T's need to be crossed? What I's need to be dotted? Number one, I would say never focus on the money. Make sure you're, if you're going to work for someone, make sure it's someone that respects you and values what you do. There are people that need employees, but they don't actually value them. They kind of churn through a lot of employees because they don't reward good work. They just want you to do the work and they keep all the money. So number one, make sure you're going to work for people that will take care of you. Doesn't mean they're bad people if they won't take care of you, but why go work for somebody that won't share the wealth? Sure. Never focus on money. And I would say the other thing is, is like as far as a time, real estate is cyclical, but there's always opportunity. Now, in good times, it's harder to find opportunity to get a job because everybody's busy. In bad times is kind of when people move around. So I think if you're in a company and you're not happy about where you're at, when times are bad, it's easier to go find other opportunity because people have time. But I, I would just say it's focusing on getting with the right firm or the right people that will take care of you, focusing on relationships instead of money. And number one, always do what you say you're going to do. I mean, I just think... You only have one reputation and without reputation, you've got nothing. Yeah, that that's for sure. Um, a, a really good piece of advice. Um, certainly I've, I've had experiences in my life and my working life thus far where, you know, if you don't necessarily do what you say you're going to, the blowback from that, it's going to hit you like a ton of bricks. It, it really is. That That's been something that, a piece of advice definitely in the last couple of years for me in particular has been really good to just sort of drill into my head. Well, like we have contracts, right? And really what, what's a contract for or a lease or a document? It's because something's not going right. Sure. You know, so you got to go back to this document. But a lot of people feel like if it's in writing, I'll honor it. But if you say it, you have to do it. Yeah. And I mean, I've done deals you know, on a, on one piece of paper agreement. And again, I think it's important to document what you agree to. So you make sure there's no gray area where somebody misunderstood something, but you know, 
people want to do business with people that they just feel will take care of them. And, and I don't think it's a competition to where I have to take advantage of you. I think there's a, in business, there's a common ground where you win and I win. Now, I want to make sure I'm going to win, but I don't think you have to take every nickel off the table or just negotiate until everybody's bleeding out of their ears. You know, it just needs to be more relational, in my opinion. Yeah. And maybe you make less money, but you know what? You cover more ground. How about in terms of team building? When you're putting, I don't know if I would say, a, you know, a, a, an administrative team, it can be even right down to, I need a project uh, taken care of. And you're putting that group together. You're forming the Avengers, you know, like what factors, what's important to consider in constructing a team like that? So, you know, it's been, a, uh, when I was younger, bigger was better. So more, 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 right? So when I was first starting my career, I wanted a lot of employees. I, I just wanted more. And more isn't always better. I mean, um, and so I've made every mistake you can in leading people. Um, but I really think, like, first of all, I will say, I think I have the best team I've ever had. And my partner, Brian Neitzel, gets a lot of credit for helping assemble that team. But I think a team will follow if they know you care, right? And I also think that if you make a mistake, you need to correct the mistake compassionately. If somebody's in the wrong position in your company and they're floundering, I think with compassion and bridge to a new, the next opportunity, you have to go in with compassion and take care of them and get them in a position where they can succeed either within your company or outside your company. If it's like, hey, you know, this isn't working out here, but you're better off somewhere else. But it's, it's about taking care of them. And then the people that are there, I think people pay attention to what you say and what you do. And if you don't do what you say and they don't feel like you love them, they're not there for you. If they think you care and know you do, and you have some depth about your, your, who you are as a person, you're just real. I also think openness. I've made so many mistakes, but I think intimacy is created by being open and honest. I talk about my alcoholism. I talk about issues that have happened in my life. And I think if you open yourself up to people, I think it creates more intimacy and more of a bond and, and more of a connection so that you can, you can have a more, a better relationship, whether it be you and I or people that work together. Yeah. It's, it's like you said, it's that sort of realness that, yeah, we have these different positions within the working dynamic, but we are still people, human right. beings in, in our society. Well, and it's about like every day, it's about keeping your confidence, right? So like when I remember when I was starting out, I was scared. I mean, is this right? Am I going to be able to pull this off? What about this? I remember I saved, I don't remember what it was, but I saved like for six months for a fax machine. You know, they put it on layaway and I would go pay, take them the money. And I think it was 1200 bucks. It wasn't a lot of money, but, but it's about making sure you keep mentally confident. So protecting your confidence so you can keep moving forward. But, and I think people, have you ever met anybody that's really guarded and very private? Sure. And I understand why people are that way, but I think they never get to intimacy because they, 
they kind of put that wall up and you can have a surface relationship, but it's not going to be as deep. And I think deep is better. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Early on in the pandemic, we spent most of our time, of course, at home. I particularly began reading a lot more than I ever have. Um, and one of the subjects that I gravitated most to was leadership and coaching. One of the overall themes that I discovered, and I was, I was reading books about coaching in the context of sports. I'm a big sports fan, Same ask way. anyone around the office. A lot of the books I was reading were about, in particular, basketball coaches yeah. um, and their experiences. Yeah. Uh, one of the themes that I discovered, and this may seem obvious in hindsight, is that there is no one size fits all way to motivate every type of employee that you have. Every member has a unique role and personality and what drives them. So leaders have to find different ways of getting the most out of everyone. What works for Michael Jordan doesn't necessarily work for Scottie Pippen and Dennis Rodman and, and everyone else. So do you have any advice for managers on basically how to figure out, figuring out the different kinds of performers on your team? It, it, does it start with that realness and getting to know those things? That's what I think. I mean, I think it's about if you can get to intimacy with somebody, and by that I mean just talk about more than surface things. I mean, if you, like I've got to ask you, are you Jets or Giants? I'm actually neither. Uh, I Cowboys? grew up a Giants fan. I'm not a Cowboys fan. Okay. Um, I, I grew up a Giants fan. I took a couple of years off from the NFL, and I'm just starting to get back into the last couple of years. Most of what I like about football stems from fantasy football. So do you have a team, a favorite team? Not not necessarily. Okay. All I, I watch a lot of different games yeah, okay. in a given weekend, um, and I root for players and yeah. basically the guys on my fantasy team. Got it. Got um, but I think, the, going back to motivating, I, sure. I, I think everybody, we're all a product of our experiences, Right. You've got people that didn't get along with their dad. They didn't get along with their mom. They've got fractured families. You've got some people that have had just a wonderful family life. You've had people that have lost a father or a mother early in their life. You're all, you become a function or a compilation of, of, of what your life experiences have been. So I think if you can get to open, honest dialogue with someone to where the barriers come down, it's so easy to see how to motivate them. And so I just think it's about getting to know them and letting them know that you care. I do. Okay. One of the questions you asked most of the legends was what advice they would give to people just starting their real estate careers. But not at all advice is good advice. And for the record, I think the, 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 the advice that we had gotten from the legends was really good. Yes. Um, what I'm curious about though, is what kind of advice that you've heard over the years, maybe something that continues to persist, uh, as, as the years progress, what kind of advice do you hear that isn't necessarily beneficial? Um, do you have an example of something that maybe has good intentions, but isn't entirely helpful? I've had advice in my life where, um, People have come from a, a side of trying to protect me 
And so they would talk me out of opportunity or talk me away from it for fear of risk. Because real estate business is the risk business. It's about understanding the risk and having conviction about the opportunity and then just saying, I think this will work and then doing it. Then once you do it, you figure out if it's going to work or not once you get into it. But so I would say the negative um, recommendations that I've had that that I wish I wouldn't have listened to were, were more on the conservative side where someone like a parent, one of my, like my dad or my mom or, or somebody like that that's trying to mentor me, talked me out of being a little bit more aggressive in business. I think they're their heart was definitely in the right position or sure. in the, coming from the right place. But I would say that I think in life, you have to go with your gut. And if you don't listen to your gut, you'll regret it every time. Cause I think your gut, I think it's the Holy spirit or God that's leading you. I do. And, and you know, if you don't believe in God, then it's your gut telling you. And if, just go back and look at the times when your intuition said, I should do this, and you went against it. It never works out for me, ever. So that, that I think, is you've got to follow your instincts. And when you don't, I think it doesn't work. It never has worked for me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, following my gut, my instinct, my intuition um, is essentially what got me to Dallas. Right. Um, I had an opportunity professionally that, that came up to go in a different direction than I was. I took it and I've been here since 2015 now. Um, and it's a great place, right? Don't you love yeah, it? Yeah, it really is. It, it's a city that, and I think the, the further out you get, it's not necessarily a destination city. I know I have friends that... Yeah oh, well, can we go to Austin instead of Dallas? Well, I live in Dallas and Austin's a few hours away. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's definitely been a change for the better. Certainly not as fast paced as what I was used to previously, but yeah, I've been able to carve out a niche and a, and a home and, and a life here. That's been really good. Bill, Dallas is a city, and I, I look at it as a city of opportunity, right? Um, there's prettier places, right? Ge geographically, there's, there's, uh, but this is a place that, like, you come from the, the Northeast. I come from the Midwest. People welcome you here. They're glad to have you. And yeah. if you add value, the door's wide open. And um, it's not clickish, it's very welcoming. And I, I tell people all the time that, like, I meet with these young kids that are getting out of school and they're, they're thinking they want to stay in Dallas. I just, you know, I don't think there's a better business environment anywhere in the country than Dallas. Because the people are so... Dallas is a big city, but yet it's small. Everybody kind of knows yeah, everybody. Absolutely. And as far as those young professionals goes, I'll ask the flip side of that initial question. What would you say is the best advice to give to someone just starting out in this industry, we'll go with the question that we ask the the legends in there yeah. in their one on ones. Yeah, um, I would say, you know, you've got to value your reputation, and I, you know, I beat this up, but it's so true. I mean, if you're not reliable, it, nothing's going to work out. So it's about being in the right spot, being with the right people. 
in being a person that's reliable. I always tell people that like these young people, go and be the most reliable, hardworking person so that you show up. Because once you start, people start paying attention to you, doors will come, will open up. Like I can tell you that my revenue or my income was directly correlated to one, me stopping chasing money and focusing on the client and two, work ethic, working harder. Seems it was weird. The more effort I put in, the better it got. When we think about motivation and coaching, or at least when I do, (laughs) I tend to think of it in the context of a senior leader like yourself, motivating, coaching, giving advice to a younger professional like myself. But people need motivation at all career levels. Even high-performing CEOs like yourself who've reached the proverbial career mountaintops. At this stage of your career, I'm really curious because we are just going through that year-end, early new year goal-setting time period. What, how, how do you continue to stay motivated? Does it come naturally? Do you have to sort of psych yourself up? Uh, is it the name on the building? Is it the employees that work under you? How do you continue to stay driven? Um, You know, every Sunday night, I get excited about coming back to work on Monday. So you get the opposite of the Sunday scaries. Yeah, no, I I can't. (laughs) Right, I can't. That's amazing. I can't wait. Even at my age, I'm, you know, mid-60s and and I'm excited on Sunday night to go back to work. That's great. I will also tell you I feel obligated to my team to... um, one, take care of them. Um, the other thing I would say is I don't look at life as, as in my age context. I think the same way I thought when I was in my 30s. And it's, it's about staying active and being productive and being relevant. You know, I've kind of got, I'm going in five-year increments for me. And I'm, as long as I'm relevant, I'm, I like to work. So I'm better off working. I mean, what would I go do? I mean, I like golf, but I'm a marginal golfer. I mean, could I play golf every day? No way. But so I, I think it's about, um, and the other thing is, I'm at a point in my career where I've had some success so I can also give back because it's important to me now to leave this place better off. Not, I don't want any legacy. I don't want, I don't care about any of that. I don't want anybody saying this or that about me, but I do think it's our obligation to making our industry and our world better off by your efforts. So giving back, giving to young people, giving, you know, that's a real big driver for me. Keep working because it keeps my platform. At this point in your career, what would you say you still have left to accomplish? Like what, how do you think about your own goals at, at this stage? You know, I think one thing, um, I've kind of figured out what I'm not good at. So I stay away from all that. I try to not ever get diverted. My goals, this is not going to sound great, but it's, you know, I want to do everything or I want to take advantage of every opportunity that comes to me that should be done. Now, there's a lot of times you look at an opportunity and once you give it analyzed, it's something you shouldn't do. It's too 
risky or not enough return for the risk. It just doesn't make sense. So I think being disciplined, but what I, I want to do is I want to be out front. I want to be out front in development and design. I kind of want to see, okay, what do they want now post-COVID? What is it that I'm going to put in my buildings that make the tenants happier? I go sit in my buildings and sit in a common area early in the morning with a cup of coffee. And I watch people come and go to work. And I watch what I've built and see what they're using and they're not using. And I do it in the evenings. I'll go there at five o'clock and watch everybody leave and see like, okay, if you built the bocce ball court, is anybody using it? If you built, you know, what all the amenities that I've built, what is it that it, people are really embracing? And then I sit and visit. I like if I'm out in a common area and visit and just get feedback from people. So I don't want to follow, I want to lead. That's what drives me. The pandemic has put an emphasis on protecting one's mental health in the face of so much about the world that is out of our control. What do you do to relax? I mean, from these interviews, I've learned that you're very, obviously very dedicated to your work. It's been a major topic uh, within this conversation. I know you're not the biggest fan of watching television. Mm -hmm. I know that comes up. Um, you like golf, but you couldn't see yourself playing every day. Mm -hmm. And to be fair, I've listened to all of these yeah. and editing them. So I've heard all of the answers yeah. so far. Um, you're not a big reality TV guy. You've stopped watching the news. I've done the same. And that you do read primarily to learn and not necessarily to be entertained. Exactly. Um, I know I we've had side yeah. conversations yeah. about that as well. I think it's pretty safe to say that you have a pretty stressful job, whether without a pandemic, that mental health has to be an important thing for you to stay on top of also. So what do you do? How do you, how do you relax? How do you protect your mental health? Okay. So mental health, I would say, uh, I have a real strong faith. It's like, so I had a faith conversion in 1997. I was in an accident and I was laying in a ditch thinking I was dying. And you know, everybody knows you're going to die, but you don't think it's going to be today. And yeah. when you're laying there in that and you face, uh Oh, I'm not going to make it. I had no idea where I was going, if I'd done enough to get to heaven or hell. And I believe in heaven or hell and hell. And I believe in God, you know, there's a lot of people that don't, but I do. And so, um, I went and went on a journey. I kind of made a deal in that accident that I was going to go to God. So mental health, number one is my faith. So my first move every morning is read the Bible and pray. And I pray for people that are sick and I pray for my kids and I pray for my friends and you know, I pray for guidance at work and my marriage and stuff like that. And then, so that's number one. And I think that gives me a ton of peace. Um, two, exercise. I, um, my wife says I'm a workout fanatic and I'm really not. As I've gotten older, my body can't take what I used to be able to do, but I do uh, get the guilts if I don't exercise. So I'm like a four or five day a week guy and it's okay. more push-ups and pull-ups and that kind of stuff. And then um, I'm really happily married. So I've got a great wife. Keely is like, in life, when you know you've got a good life partner, when you know you're solid at home, so many people aren't solid at home. I'm solid at home. And so she gives me incredible confidence. And then my kids. So I really like being around my wife, my kids, my friends. And, and it's about like, here's the thing about work. Go to work, work, go home, forget it. I'm not a worrier. I'm not. Uh, I, I don't think my job is that stressful. 
because I keep myself out of the weeds. Now, there are stressful times when things go wrong. But again, it's about being transparent and doing the right thing. And then I kind of, and I, this goes back to the God thing. I think it's all going to kind of work out the way it's supposed to. We've often asked the legends, you've often asked the legends, if they were, if they were good at delegating tasks and assignments, essentially how well were they able to juggle their daily workload and say no when it becomes necessary? So this is going to sort of piggyback off of the mental health question. What kinds of things have you gotten better at saying no to in the last couple of years? Okay, so um, one, I'm a great delegator uh, because I believe everybody's good at a few things. And I think, you know, like I'm dyslexic, so reading isn't great. Now, if I find something I'm really interested in, like a self-help book or something like that, I can read it. But if it's something I'm not interested in, forget it. I'll read a chapter and I don't even know what it said. Yeah. So delegating. So I believe in filling in your blind spots or your weaknesses with people on your team. So I delegate and I I love delegating. I have no issue and I don't ever look back. I like to start, not finish. I don't like minutia. I like planning and then leading. So like getting into building a building. Now I want to be there to pick the colors and all the stuff to make sure it ends up pretty. But I don't want to go through all the design and everything, uh, uh, the small stuff. Um, so I would say um, that is one thing. So de- delegating. And it's, it's just about um, staying out of trouble is getting out over your skis to where you get into something you don't know anything about. So if I don't have a good resource in my firm or a good resource that I trust, I don't do it. And when I was younger, I would chase more rabbits and think I could do it. Like I've been successful in office building so I can go do hotels. I, I think it's, I think you have to lean into your strengths and stay away from your weaknesses. Has there been anything in the last couple of years, maybe a new belief or behavior or something you've learned that has greatly improved your life or work? Is there something that you've begun doing something you've become a sort of evangelist for that you've picked up that maybe the rest of us should should get on the hype train uh, for as well? So one, um, I do say no quicker. So like when it's not a fit, I say no right away instead of like a lot of times I would get intrigued and then waste a bunch of time and then say no, I get to know quicker. You know, one of the things COVID taught me is I want more balance in my life. You know, I think we all run to each fire and we're kind of missing life. Um, like I've had people, friends died, you know, in the, this last year, not from COVID, but in, in the seventies and young, people that died really young. And I kind of think, um, what I've learned in the last 18 to 24 months is, you know, live every day. Um, tell people that you care about them. If you do, if you got it on your mind, say it and get some balance. Um, it shouldn't all be work. You know, um, I think, you know, I like the more casual dress. I like the fact that people are, um, you know, I think you go to work and work and go home and live your life. And, and like, I want to travel more and I want, I want to live more. And I think I was too much one way And my wife's helped me there a lot, but I would say with COVID, I've, I've really realized that balance in a true balance is more important. Like if, if, 
I would never go home at four o'clock if I, I'd go find something to do. Now, if I've got a window where I could go home and spend time with my kids and stuff, I, I do it. Yeah. Because, you know, my kids are getting are in college. You know, you almost got to, you almost got to bribe them to get them to spend time with you today. <laughs> so, so it's about spending time with your kids when they're young, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm at that point, um, with, with my parents where now the trips home need to be more spending time with, with them making up for, you know, having moved without being able to see them regularly all the time, right. that, that kind of thing. So the time value is, is definitely there for me. So I had the same thing, right? I moved away from my folks. My, both of my parents are, are gone now. But one of the things I realized, though, is being away, the times when I was there were more intimate or more special. You know, you valued the time more. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we're right up against this holiday time. And I'm finding myself excited by things like football schedules because right. I know I can watch the games with my dad. Yeah, exactly. Every minute you spend with your dad, is, is time well spent. Yeah. You know, and your mom. I mean, like, it, uh, my dad got dementia and he was sick. And um, I he was in Illinois. I would drive up to see him. I would fly and then drive for a couple hours and spend the night and see him and see him. And even when he didn't know I was there, I did it. I probably did it more for me than him. But, you know, you don't need this advice, but, you know, every minute with your family is important. Absolutely. Trek's guiding principle is to build the city you've imagined. And I've always thought of that as a challenge to our members to leverage their talents as real estate professionals and their connections as members of this real estate community to leave a lasting positive impact on our world. I've asked this question of a lot of the people that I've interviewed on this podcast and for other capacities within Trek, and you've developed a version, a variation of it in the interviews that you've done. But what does that concept mean for you? What kind of lasting positive impact on the world do you feel like you need to make before your career comes to an end? Um, when I was younger, I wanted to build reputation. So it was about me. And, you know, as you live life, you figure out, like, when you die, like when I die, they're going to have a funeral and they're going to have a garage sale. <laughs> and then for like once in a while, somebody will go, remember, Collie did this or that. But pretty much you're just going to go away and life's going to keep going. So it's not about me, but it's about, one, I want to help young people. Two, I want the, the city to be better off. I want to have poured into my family. So... You know, I've had kids that have had alcohol problems. I've been through a lot with my kids, but I, I just want my kids to, to be proud of me as their father, and I want to be close to them. It's all the stuff that really matters. You know, I mean, um, it's more about intimacy. Like, um, you know, like my kids are all coming for Christmas and my grandkids. I mean, what's more important? And that, that would, would in, in, in my younger years, that might have been... I would look forward to it, but it would be short term. Now I can't get enough of it, right? So, so I would say it's about doing and making the world a little bit better. And I'll tell you another thing. So when the George Floyd thing hit, when we were at with Trek and all the discord in the world, 
you know, as a white man, I've never been discriminated against. I haven't. I've had pretty clear path. You know, I'm, again, I don't know what it would be like to be discriminated against. And I care about that. And I was in a position of, I didn't know what to do. Um, so one of the things I've really enjoyed about Trek is I think we found avenues to help because I, I don't want to be a check writer. I want to be a doer. I think you do both, but I think if you go do, you get, you end up getting more than you give. Like every time you ever go in service, you get more than you give. So I want to do that. I want to give. And, uh, and it's kind of selfishly cause I know I'm going to get, I'm going to get rewarded by that. I mean. I don't think you can outgive people. I mean, if you go work in service, you're going to benefit more than the people you're servicing. So I would say, you know, it sounds corny, but I just kind of want to, I don't want to be a taker. I want to be, you know, on balance, give more than God I have gotten. Bill, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you, uh, you doing this and being a part of this, this podcast experience that we've been trying to build out. Uh, have a great holiday and we'll see you next year. Happy new year as well. Thanks, Bill. It's been a, it's been a lot of fun doing these with you and it's been fun doing this today and I appreciate it. Thanks. Absolutely. Thanks again. That's all for today's show. I'd like to thank Bill Cauley of Cauley Partners for his time. And as always, his spirited conversation, remember to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app and check out our legends of commercial real estate series. Be sure to follow us on social media as well. We've put links to our podcast and social handles in the show notes, so go check those out. Until next time, we wish you a happy, healthy, and safe new year. I'm Bill San Antonio. Thanks for listening.